This is the First Christian Church of Lubbock podcast, where we exist to share the gospel and edify the church through Bible-based teachings and content. I am your host, Scott Hall. On today's episode, we discuss the theme of brotherly love. This was taken from our sermon hosted on May 2nd, 2021. We turn to God's Word and to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. May God add His blessing to the reading, the hearing, the understanding of His Holy Word. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other as brothers. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, as your word is written, may you write it also upon our hearts, and may it be a fruit-bearing word in the life of your church. In the name of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit's power, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The way the Bible was written in all the epistles, which are all the letters, is the first part preaches the truth of the gospel, what Jesus did, why he did it, what it accomplished, and all the benefits of the work of Jesus. For instance, all your sins are forgiven you. You'll never be punished one time for any of your sins by God, for Christ was punished on your behalf. Uh, God promises to send the peace of the Holy Spirit into your life in times when you need it most. It's a peace that's not weak. It's not a hippie peace. It's the kind of peace that doesn't make sense, that when the world around you has gone chaotic, somewhere deep in your heart, you know you're going to be okay. The Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ also secures for the church a perfect, eternal destiny. One day... You and I really will be in heaven in the New Jerusalem together. These things are real. One day, this world will disappear. A new world will come. All in Christ will be put into a new body, and we will exist in the presence of God forever and ever. That day, when Jesus stands in the middle of his city, and the glory of his light fills, and there's no need for sun or lamp to shine, That's when we'll know that every single thing that we heard from this word when we lived on this earth is as rock-solid true as Jesus Christ himself. That's the good news. In the epistles, all the letters are normally written, about half of the epistles written about those truths. We hear them, we preach them, we remind ourselves of them. And then the story shifts and says, given that absolute truth, Here is how you ought to live your life while waiting. While waiting on Jesus' return, while waiting for your time to pass so that you can go be with Christ through death, here's how you ought to spend your time. You see, it's not just that God will come back for his church through Jesus. It's that he has a people who know how to wait. He's created a people who know how to spend our time according to what was written long ago. And out of all the commandments we have about how we should wait until we're together in heaven, until we're resurrected from the dead, out of all the priorities, the first thing that Hebrews chapter 1, 
or chapter 13, verse 1 tells us, is that we ought to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. We ought to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So what's first the command? What does it say? It's really two words put together in the Greek. The first word is Philadelphia. You've heard that word. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. I don't know if you've ever been there. I hear it's not all that loving, but kind of ironic. But Philadelphia means brotherly love. The second word is Monet. We'll get to that word in a second. So the command of God is if you're in Christ, you're saying, what, how do I need to spend my life today? How do I glorify God? How do I obey Christ? He says, first off, show brotherly love. Now, this is not agape, which is sacrificial love, which is the kind of love that's about how much you're willing to pay or lose or sacrifice from somebody for somebody. Agape love is important. It's, it's about your willingness to put the welfare of other people above your own. That's very important, but I've got really good news today because that's not what the highlight of this text is. It's not about how much you have to pay, how much you have to do, how much you have to give. The first commandment is about how much you ought to be able to enjoy the common, shared, uniting love with other people in Jesus Christ. I call it the prepackaged love. I remember uh, my mother uh, was concerned when she was about, to, I don't remember, I wasn't there because I wasn't born yet, but apparently she asked her mother uh, about having babies and she was concerned that she wouldn't have enough love to give this baby, and it turned out she would not only have Brian, but she would have four more babies. And her mother told her, Jeannie, they come with the love you need to give them. They come with the love. This is the prepackaged kind of common love. You know, when you are in uh, Georgia and you run into another Red Raider, you don't have to sacrifice for each other. You're like, hey, Raider. Hey. Yeah. I mean, it's just this natural, common, shared. It's, it's not about sacrifice. It's about that you have a common bond, and it's okay to enjoy it. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the driving and then the, the, the finger wave kind of love. Hey, when you, you meet somebody, you have a shared bond, or you nod at somebody, and it can go deeper and deeper and deeper than that, but it's, it's a, a sense of unity and a sense of respect, commonality. That's what this love is all about. It's that we have a same inheritance, the same share. We have the same Lord Jesus Christ. We have the same purpose on life right now, and we have the same future, ready, sealed, and waiting. We have all of this in common. And the Word of God tells us that we are to enjoy that bond. We are to regularly gather and enjoy that bond. Now, what's important to understand is that, again, this prepackaged love is not about how much, for instance, if you look at my relationship to e either of you, it's not how much you do for me or how much I do for you. Because the basis of a relationship is actually, first and foremost, about how much Jesus did for us. We hear a lot of sermons about how we ought to bend over backwards for each other and strive and, and feed each other and visit each other. And all those things are important. But the basis of our relationship is not that we are really good at taking care of each other, but that Jesus is really good at taking care of you, and Jesus is really good at taking care of me. 
And because we have that unity, our starting point of relationship is that we should gather together often and love each other in that commonality. And so if you consider any Christian, just all the Christians in this sanctuary right now, you are in the midst of other people who Jesus Christ considers the apple of His eye. Everybody in here is a very important person to Jesus Christ. He lords over them. He saves them. He loves them. He watches over them. He rebukes them with love. He disciplines. He cares for them. Every single person in the church of Jesus Christ is of high priority to the Lord Jesus. And so the church is kind of like a bunch of people who gather together every Sunday or at a coffee shop or at the park, and we look at each other and say, you too? You've experienced Jesus too? That's the love. And so the first commandment is two words. The first one is Philadelphia, brotherly love, common affection, natural love through our shared relationship in Jesus Christ. And number two is the word monet, which it means remain, stay, and abide. Opposites would be leave, neglect, isolate. So the basic core command up front is don't leave the warmth of the love of the saints. Don't leave the warmth of your fellowship in Jesus Christ. Spend time with people whose hope is hidden in the Lord Jesus. Spend time with the same people you'll be spending eternity with as opposed to the people who you, you, know, you really don't know. Have unity and love and respect for people who may not look like you or think like you but, or even come from the same nation as you but have found hope in Jesus Christ Value those connections. So that's the basic command. If you read the, the Gospels, if you just watched Calvary, you've celebrated on Easter, Pentecost has happened, you wake up for Jesus and you want to spend your life for Jesus Christ, and you go, okay, how many souls do I need to win? And, and how many mouths do I need to feed? And how much scripture do I need to read? All those things are worthy, and all those things are great. But Hebrews says, okay, first things first. Love those who love the Lord. Spend time with them. Soak it up. I don't know why it's hard for us to do the commandments that are the nicest to us, like the Sabbath, rest, or to love, be loved. We want to skip over those. We want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but we want to just hang out with other believers. This command, the first priority, according to Hebrews 13, says that one of the greatest ways you can spend your time is by enjoying fellowship and love with other believers in Jesus. So just a, a couple thoughts on this command as we journey together as a church. The first one is anytime you see a command or an admonishment in Scripture, you're also seeing what the Holy Spirit's intentions are in your life right now. What I mean by that is, this isn't just something you have to do. This is something the Holy Spirit's been doing in you since you first believed. 
That's the difference between prescription and description. If it's prescription, you'll read something like, I need to do this, and I'm going to start doing it, and I'm going to start today. Description is, however, wow, this is exactly what Jesus has been doing to me my whole life. The Holy Spirit's ministry in your life, if you've watched it over time, has been working to draw you in relationship with other believers. Against the grain. I mean, think about it. How many times have you been on the cusp, the tempted to spiral out, to orbit out, and to, and to no longer really enjoy the warmth of the fellowship of a local church? Maybe because somebody hurt your feelings. Well, I'm never going back to church. Or maybe because you, you got too busy. Or maybe because you're too ashamed. And you believe technically that every sin is forgiven, except the one you committed, and so you feel like you're disqualified. Coming back to church is not easy. Just think about all the reasons people experience coldness and difficulty and isolation from the church of Jesus. And then I want you to also see on the other side of that rope, tug-of-war, pulling, is the very Holy Spirit of God who loves us and who wants us in. He wants us to experience this grace. He wants us to remain in love. This commandment, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, is a description and a commandment to us, but it's also describing what the Holy Spirit's doing all the time. He is at work to draw his church together. One of the greatest images of the church of Jesus from Isaiah chapter 43 is that we are the people who have become, who have been drawn, protected, and gathered up. Have you felt the Holy Spirit do that in your life? Now, another thing about the commandment to remain, to stay warmed by the love of those who have a common bond with Jesus is that there is no greater motivation on the planet than love. There are, are motiv other motivations. There's just no greater motivation. I mean, the, people are temporarily motivated by loyalty, uh, love. I'm sorry, not love. I just, that's one we'll get to. Loyalty, uh, fear uh, is, is, is a common one. I've seen people do all sorts of things with their life, even in church, out of fear. Uh, codependence a broken relationship, but we all get something negative out of it. So we, we have this kind of sick cycle and we stay involved. People are motivated by all sorts of things, but there is no greater motivation than love. Love is the highest. The other uh, day before soccer practice for, for Mary, she's seven. I'm her coach. It, it happened to rain for the first time in 10 years. Our elders have spoken of such things, you know. And Lubbock makes me laugh. It's the only town I've ever lived in that, that, that cancels everything because it might rain. Like, it might rain. Just get wet. It rains every day in Dallas. So anyhow, I get all these texts and messages from the soccer team. Are we practicing tonight? Are we practicing? And it's, it's barely been spitting. You get 40 drops on your windshield. But of course we're practicing tonight. And you know why we practice that night? It's not because I'm afraid we're not going to win the next game or 
I'm, I'm, I'm overly loyal. I said I would, and there I for I will. Because everybody else canceled on town. All the other teams that practiced on the same field, I noticed, were scared of the 40 drops. Why, why did we practice that night? I love those girls. I love their parents. I love my assistant coach, Keith. I, this is what I want to do with my day. Isn't love the best motivation? Not fear or money or loyalty or compulsion. It's, it's love. In 2014, I, I first moved to town and I ended up at men's breakfast at the Cast Iron Grill, which meets on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Right, Mike? Come on. Come on, come on. If you're a guy. Sorry, ladies. So I'm, Mike, I forgot about this, but Mike drew my attention to it recently. So I'm at this, the first, I'm my first ever men's breakfast meeting. And there were maybe eight of us there, 10 of us. And apparently my first ever men's breakfast was the last men's breakfast ever because they were offering the last will and testament. They were offering final words of how we're no longer going to meet for men's breakfast. And I'm listening to everyone go around the circle talking about how we're not going to meet for men's breakfast anymore with tears in their eyes and, and wish we didn't have to do this, but we do. And, and, and they, they keep talking. And, and finally, after, after hearing everybody speak, I was like, I'm the new guy here. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Do y'all like doing this? Like, oh, well, yeah. We're best friends. We, we love doing this every week. Did I miss something? Why are you not going to keep doing it? Because they were measuring it based on a numeric standard. They felt like it wasn't a success because there weren't 30 guys there. They felt like it wasn't a, a, a big win because it wasn't the talk of the town. But what's the best motivation to do anything? Love. Love. Now that group's, what, 15 guys? Sometimes 20? So what? What if it's three? It's love. Love is the best motivation. Love's the best motivation for me to be up here today teaching the Word of God. Not compulsion, not fear, but because I don't want to be doing anything else. We have that uh, parking lot service, and in, in the future, I get the feeling we're going to keep it around. We're going to have to find a way to work it, but um, I was joking with somebody recently about uh, if this is all hypothetical, it's not real, but if I, if I ever got perturbed or burnt out, I'm like, I'm going to go do something else with my life. And I go home, and I'm on Sunday morning, and I'm just hanging out drinking coffee, and 30 people show up in my front yard, knock on my door, and said, uh, Sir, Pastor, would you teach us the Word of God? Absolutely, I would. Because ultimately, it's not about paycheck. It's not about fear that drives us. It's not about loyalty that lasts because loyalty has limits. It's about love. Love for the people God has in your life. And the people God has in your life that will remain in your life forever are particularly those in Christ. Your Christian friendships. Which brings me to point number three, which may surprise some of us, but the scriptures are replete with examples that your Christian relationships, your brotherly love for Christians, will ultimately supersede all other relationships. It will overcome and overwhelm all other relationships. I'm going to read you something from Mark chapter 10. Jesus has already told regularly that if you're going to be his disciple, take up your cross and follow him. You have to be willing to 
forsake all others. He says some things. Whoops. Amen. No. He, says, he says some things about uh, family, and you got to be willing to hate your mother, your father, life itself. It's just really harsh things. Next week's Mother's Day. I'm sure I'll be preaching on that next week. But uh, Jesus, Jesus is uh, teaching about forsaking his whole time and about joining together with him. And he tells the story about the rich young man and at the end, remember the guy comes to Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, tell me everything you know. What does the law say? And he says all these things. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. You need to sell everything, give it to the poor and follow me. And the disciples are disturbed about what Jesus says. And so Peter then says to Jesus, he says, we have left everything to follow you. Now, what kind of things did Peter leave? It's going to be in the answer that Jesus gives. I've left everything. So let's see what everything includes. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and he goes on to repeat, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and with them, persecutions. They're going to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. What Jesus is saying here is that if you have fallen in love with Christ and you begin that walk of pilgrimage waiting on Jesus... The Holy Spirit and time will or reorient your life so that may come as a surprise. I mean, I know we've said things in junior high. I will love you forever. I'll always be in your life. We make all these promises when we're at our lowest levels of maturity, don't we? And then over time, God rearranges some things. And in Christ, our lives looks totally different from what we predicted. And one of those total differences is that your greatest and lasting relationships will be with people who are walking on the same Calvary road. It's not with the people you would have thought, unless, of course, what? They've gotten on the same Calvary road. And what this means is with the Philadelphia, with the brotherly love of the Holy Church, that the love we will receive and enjoy by the Holy Spirit with other people in the church is going to be greater and eternal compared to the love and relationships we've shared with people because we share nationality or alma mater or political views or hold your breath, blood kin. The relationships we have in Christ are the most important, superseding, longest lasting relationships that you will find. And the warmth of that love, Jesus says through the word, through the Holy Spirit, enjoying those relationships often and abiding in that love is a command. Not only should you want to, you don't have a choice. This is part of waiting, is enjoying each other. We're all in the terminal. 
We're getting on the same flight to the same New Jerusalem. Get to know the people around you. Love them. Meet them. Ask if you can ride next to them on the plane. The last thing I wanted to mention about this command is that God himself is more glorified in a local church that is brimming with brotherly love than by any other standard. A a church that has strong programs, a good reputation, is popular, has the big youth group, whatever standard we want to use for success in the modern church, which is slow, quickly actually fading, if you've noticed, in the world. Times are changing. In the standard of God, the high priorities of God, the most delightful things in the eyes of the Lord, assuming everyone has faith, everyone loves Jesus, the next level is do they love each other? Are they meeting regularly because they want to? Are they fueled by loyalty, by fear, or by brotherly love? All the way back in the Old Testament, there's this wonderful psalm that says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live in unity. It is like precious oil being poured on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew from Mount Hermon relocated and fell on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even his life forevermore. And so as you wait, as you spend your life, and as you ask the question, what can I do to contribute to the health of my local church and to the health of Christianity globally? Hebrews 13.1 gives you one of the greatest starting spots. Look around you and enjoy and foster eternal relationships with other Christians. Think about this room right now. We have about 600 people here, right? I'm a preacher. (laughs) You have plenty of people here, some of which you know, some of which you don't know. It's good to see Randall here today. If Randall's here, that means somebody loved him enough to bring him today. Look around you and think about the relationships you have that maybe need to be sparked up a little bit. And think about the relationships that you, you haven't started yet. People who might be new. Onus is yours. Take it up. Invite somebody to lunch. Go for a walk. Get to know each other. This is not church growth strategy 101. This is not how to make a healthy church. This is biblical, glorifying, God, Christ-exalting life. To enjoy the warmth and the presence of the gospel as shared by other people. Meeting with each other, breaking bread together, loving each other, laughing together, crying together. Keep on loving each other. It's a command. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, we love because you first loved us. We thank you for creating a new family from every nation. Help us, oh God, to experience the movement of the Holy Spirit, the creative thought of who to speak with and when, of how to enjoy each other well. Until, Lord, we are fully resurrected and enjoying the freedom of, from sin and the freedom of the resurrection, 
May we not neglect this wonderful commandment and admonition to come together and enjoy the warmth of the love we share in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.